Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Today, I am honored to have Peter Hurley with us. Peter is a world-renowned and probably known as the best headshot photographer uh, in the world. And it, he has a pivotal story of how his sailing career led him to modeling, which led him to also seeing behind the lens, not just in front of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Peter Hurley with me. Uh, Peter has a fascinating story and is a world-renowned, we're going to say not even negotiable, the best portrait taker uh, in the world. And so he has a fascinating story of how he went from uh, being a model to then getting the opportunity to take photos and really all the pivotal moments along the way. So Peter, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having me on, Phil. This is cool. I, I'll take it, but I'll tell you what, my specialty is headshot photography because if Annie Leibovitz heard you say that I was the best portrait photographer, I don't know. It might be, you know, a little suspect. But uh, but I love taking portraits, but I am known as as my niche is the is the headshots. So uh and it's and it's been a it's been a wild ride. So I feel fortunate to pick up a camera the way I did and and uh and have it get going this direction. Absolutely. Now, to start off, and we would be remiss if we didn't start with the sailing part of life. You had mentioned that, you know, your, your dad kind of taught you or got you maybe interested in the sailing world. So talk a little bit about that as a kid and uh, just you're growing up with that as a, uh, as a hobby or a sport. Yeah, I grew up on the Jersey Shore in the summers. And my dad was a avid sailor. He got into it because, I mean, my grandparents bought a house there in this little town called Maniloking on the Bay and non-sailors they were non-sailors but this neighbor grabbed my dad one day he said hey you look look kid jump on this boat and sail with me and um i was just talking about it with the with her with with him the other day about this um and then my dad ended up loving the sport and training for the olympics and becoming a north american champion and he's he's winning right now he's like 77 and he's winning uh, a regatta right now. I think he's 78 winning a regatta right now, which I think is great. I think the yeah. sport of sailing is so cool. Cause you get to compete throughout your life. So, uh, I feel fortunate about that, but he jumped me in a boat when I was like six and, um, all the other kids like in school and stuff played other sports. I didn't, I played football a little bit. Then I broke my leg. I was like, all right, this isn't for me. And, uh, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> So I just wanted to sail, but I could only sail in the summer. So I would wait all year to just get out of my sailboat. Anyway, uh, one thing led to another. I ended up winning a world championship, a North American championship, a national championship. And then the boat I was sailing uh, when I graduated from college, it was just very kind of serendipitous that the same at the same moment they announced that it was going to be an Olympic class for the first time in, in 1996. So I had graduated from, I went to Boston University. I tried to sail up there. I sucked at sailing in college. I don't know. It wasn't for me. I wasn't very smart. So I was on the five-year plan. So, <laughs> uh, and I, and I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. So I was a human physiology major and I have no clue why. So I graduated. I was like, what the hell am I going to do with myself? And I worked in a sail loft that summer and the guy gave me like a week off and he's like, yeah, go sail in this national championship. And I won. So I was like, you know, all right, well, I don't know what I'm going to do you know, with my life. I might yeah. as well. The boat just became an Olympic class. I won a national championship. I was like, all right, this maybe this will turn into something. And my dad 
had campaigned for the Olympics. So I, I leaned on them and I was like, look, we got any uh, funds for me to do this. And we did a fundraiser at my yacht club. Anyway, I, I wasn't, you know, in the United States, you have to be number one to go to the Olympics. And at right. the time, even though I won this national championship, it, it, that wasn't very, that wasn't very important. It, it didn't have anything to do with one thing or another. I was like, if you were going to rank me, I'd be like 30th in the country at the time. So it was a long shot um, to go to the Olympics. But, you know, I look back at this time in my life as like the formative years, like these moments that are just freaking huge that caused all this, all this hoopla happening in my life. So I start training and I start getting better and I'm going from 30th. Now I'm in like the top 15. I ended up getting ranked um, at the height of my career. I was ranked, uh, I was like 30th in the country. When I started at the height of my career, sailing career, I was 17th in the world and fourth in North America. So, um, which was cool. And, uh, you know, that, so that, that kind of, thing this was 93 i started in 96 that the, the olympic trials of the olympics happened in atlanta we sailed out of savannah uh, and i haven't been back since but next week i'm going because my daughter got into scad and i got to go check it out so it's going to be weird How for cool. me to go back there but um anyway didn't make the team yeah. i i was uh the u.s sailing team is comp- back then was comprised of the top five people that finish in the, in the, in the Olympic trials in the top five. And I finished eighth. So didn't make the team had no idea what to do with life. I was like, didn't never had the only jobs I've ever had was a sailing instructor. I sold, sold boats at a sail loft. Uh, I delivered beer in the summers for cores when I was, uh, in college. And I'm like, I'm done with the Olympics. Like I lost, like, what am I going to do? And um, along the way, this designer from Donna Karen met me, was helping me with my fundraising and was like, you need you need a sponsor. So she got me sponsored by Donna Karen. Yes. Um, and then and then she had a lead in, on a um, on a modeling job. And I had never modeled before. Actually, in college, my 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 roommate was a good looking guy. Like all the girls called him Adonis. They only talked to me to get to him. <laughs> <laughs> He was like amazing. And we came to New York one day because we were in Boston. He's like, I want to try and model in New York. I was like, all right, let's go. I'll go home to Jersey, go grab some stuff at home, say hi to my parents. We'll go into the city and see if we can go to some modeling agencies. And he went in and they said flat out, no, sorry, you can't do it. And I was like, well, if that dude can't do it. I'll never be able to model. So I told this designer, I was like, I can't model. There's yeah. no way. So she's like, no, 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 no. They want Polo wants real sailors for an ad campaign. And, and I think you can get the job. And I was like, well, you got to go into the city and meet this guy. So I went and met this designer at Polo. And he's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's nice meeting you. Let me send you to the art director. I met another guy. They took a couple Polaroids of me. And they said, um, okay, we're going we're gonna to send you to Miami to do this photo shoot. And I was like, I asked him how much it was. And they were going to give me like 250 bucks. And I was like, I'm training for the Olympics. I'm like, I can't like just take off and go to Miami and like, do anything for that little. And I hung up the phone and said, see you. Bye. And I was like, I, I, I can't believe to this day that I did that. Cause it was for polo. It was being shot by Bruce Weber, who was at the time. And now he's like one of the most famous portrait photographers in the entire world. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and this was the biggest pivot of my life at that moment was getting that job. So 
a, a week goes by and then they, this woman calls me. She goes, I got your plane ticket to Miami. And I was like, what plane ticket? Yeah, you're going for the photo shoot. I was like, I just said no. I said no. They go, I said they they were gonna pay me like 250 or 500 bucks or something for the whole time. She goes, No, you're getting like three grand. You're going. I was like, Oh, all right, I'll go. <laughs> I was like, I had this awesome time. Yes. I never modeled before. I'm in front of Bruce Weber's camera, who I didn't even know who he was. And my and the woman who got me the job is freaking out that I was shooting with this guy. Anyway. I'm just blabbering on and on and on, but that we be, I become friends with that guy with Bruce and um, I, I, they give me all these pictures from the polo job and yeah. Bruce helps me go to, it says, go over to this agency. So I go in there and um, the woman looks at the pictures and goes, nah, you can't do print. I was like, my, my ad came out worldwide. I was in a full page <laughs> spread for polo. And she's like, no, nah, you're not good enough. You can't be, you, you're never going to model. You're not going to be in this agency. I was like, wow, these guys are tough. I'm already modeling. I was like, how could I not model? <laughs> so I walk out deflated and I'm like, I'm done. I call Bruce and I'm like, Bruce, there's, there's no, like, they don't even want me. He goes, I'll send you somewhere. He sent me to another guy. Yeah. Anyway, just to finish the story, it started a modeling career. And, um, and I never thought that that would ever be possible. Um, and then, the, and then this was the, this, this just kind of weaved its way into, you know, Bruce kept encouraging me to pick up a camera and I was doing the model actor bartender thing. Like I got great modeling jobs, but to make ends meet in New York city, like right. it's not, it's not the easiest. Like you can't, yeah. not just like a slam dunk. Like if you get a, you get an agency, you got to work. You, I mean, I was running around trying to, trying to make ends meet. I was bartending until four in the morning. I got sick of it. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. The Olympics came back up again. And I was at this point in my life. I'd been, it was, so the 2000 Olympics were coming. It was like 1999. I haven't even thought about the Olympics. I was like, but I was really good at sailing and that was cool. I should probably yeah. do that till I get old. You know, once I get too old to do it, I should go do it again. So I left New York, started training again. And then, and then that was when everything happened. I, I ended up making the United States sailing team in 2000, which I'm really proud of. And, um, and going on to pick up a camera. And when the Olympics were over, I, I, uh, well, I made the U S team, but I didn't go to the Olympics. Remember how right. I said top yep. five made the team. I finished fourth, yep. but only the first guy went, but I still was able to say I made the U S sailing team, which was one of my feathers in my cap that I'm most proud of. Yes. Um, Anyway, that's the story. Yeah. I came yeah. back to New York after the Olympic trials, after finishing fourth. And I was like, I'm going to pick up a camera to try and make this fly. And here we are 20 years later. And it's been an awesome ride. Yes. So you hit so many of these great highlights. There's a couple of things I want to go back into and, and dive into. And the first being you had the goal originally when you were training for the Olympics in 96 and even though a phenomenal opportunity presented itself right I mean most people would say I'm getting an opportunity to shoot with polo with a you know great photographer like that's great but I just want to highlight the fact that you had the the focus on the one thing you were most focused on at that time right and that was the Olympics so even though originally a great opportunity came you you had the gumption to say no because it wasn't necessarily helping you towards the Olympic focus. I can't believe I said no to this day. I can't <laughs> believe this. I can imagine if they said, okay, no, all right, no problem. See ya. Like, where would I be right now? Like I, there's no way without Bruce and that modeling job that I would have a, 
I'd be, I wouldn't be a photographer. My life would yeah. be totally, I don't know if I'd be off sound somewhere or if I'd be doing, my brother kept trying to get me to, to work for him. And yes. I probably just would have done that. Or I was with this girl at the time who I was dating, who had a family run business. And they, they were always like, Oh, you could come work for us. I mean, I was like, I was like, I could have done anything. I don't know what I could have, would have done that though. It's those, those pivot. I think everybody has them yes. in life though. Those pivotal moments where you go, that was the moment. Yep. And that was my moment. That was like, and it's such cr so crazy that it happened in such a short period. Like it was like a crunch time, like, like a short period of time. And it happened later for me. Like I always, uh, I never knew what I wanted to do. To do. Yeah. Like, I think those people, like my kids, I have 18 year old twins and they're like, they're pretty set in like, they're going to school. They're, they're into what they're doing. They want to, they know what they want to do. I never knew. I was clueless. I was like, I, I just, I don't know. I'm pretty good at the ceiling. I'm going to sail. <laughs> like, yeah. like I never knew. I, and those people that know, I'm like, wow. And I think when you know what you want to do at a young age and you go for it, uh, I think everything kind of lines up that way. But when you're, I was 30 when I picked up a camera. So when you're 30 and you've gone through your twenties, I mean, I think I had the best time. I mean, it was awesome. It was just an awesome thing, yeah. but I was like 10 years, not 10. I mean, I got out of college. I felt like at 30, I was starting up. Like I could have been graduating college at 22. So I felt eight years behind all my friends. I was like yeah. in, in a good way. Like yeah. I was like, Hey, I'm here. I made, I'm broke, but I'm 30. I was like, I should just, I got to figure out how to make some money and make this, make a career for myself. And, and, you know, it was just crazy how it happened. Yeah. Now two kind of opposing things that I want to highlight in your story is one, you had a Bruce who believed in you, right? He said, Hey, I, you can do this. And even though one agency turned you down, I want you to go do another one. Well, later in life, after the modeling, when you want to be a photographer and you move back to New York, you tell your parents, hey, I want to be a photographer. And they say, well, no, maybe call your brother and go go do that as work. Right. And I mean, talk about those two things. One, when people maybe don't believe in you and the motivation that can come from that. And then the other part, when people do believe in you and the motivation that can come from that, since you kind of had both parts in your life. Yeah, I coach a lot of photographers and I try and mentor them the best I can and try to give them insight into the people like the kind of the way that mentors had helped me. And I think I think I think every big moment in your life gets a, is affected by a human being. I think yep. it's the human that changes it. Right. So you're going along in life and this human comes into your life and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this person really affected me. I'm going off this way now. So I try and be that that person for uh the photographers out there that, that that i coach and i feel very fortunate that i could do that so me having the experience that i've had i had a couple people like like bruce i also had um and i just wait for the phone to ring because i don't know where it is and i gotta <laughs> the phone's ringing on a sunday shebang there we go <laughs> uh you know like i had another guy uh a who's a good friend of mine, a personal development coach named Bob Proctor, who had a big influence on me and made me make some decisions that I wasn't prepared to make at the time. So he, in 1999, when I was doing the model, but actor bartender thing, he said to me, well, why aren't you training for the Olympics? And I was like, I don't know. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a year out. How the heck could I even, you know, I would never. So I, I made the decision because of him. Yeah. to go for it. And I would have never made the U S team. I don't think I, I don't know. I probably would have picked up a camera still, but I wouldn't 
go at it with the vigor that I had. I wouldn't definitely not would 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 have definitely not met my wife, who was my muse when I started photographing. And I met her in line on a casting behind and she was in line behind me at a casting in Miami. And I wouldn't have been there if I hadn't been training for the Olympics again. So there's all these things that that come into play. But again, it goes back to the people in your life. So there are some people that will try and keep you safe and be like, no, you have to go this conservative. This is the way you got to go in life. And, yes. and parental parents are like that. Friends are like your best friend. Like my best friends never believed that I should pick up a camera and like would be successful. They were like, are you crazy? Go get a job. What are you doing? My, <laughs> my parents were like, you got to go work for your brother. This yeah. photography thing, I don't know. That's how you're going to raise a family as a photographer in New York City. And and that's what you hear, right? So, yeah. um, I I mean, my, unfortunately, I lost my mom to ovarian cancer in 2013. And another photographer had lost his mom to cancer. And I was talking to him a bit while my mom was alive and I was taking care of her. And he said, you got to tell her everything. Just tell her everything. And I was like, so I had this moment with my mom, which I cherish, where I said, mom, you know, you were the one that pushed me to be the best photographer I could be. She was very supportive of my career at the end. I had a big exhibition of this. I remember her coming to this exhibition I had of these uh, images I did for loss. I was so proud of that. And she was so proud of me. And she was super supportive of, of everything that I had accomplished. But at the beginning, she was the toughest. She was yep. the one that was like, no, you can't do this. I had to tell her and she's, she's, and she, she was with me on it. And, and it was a really good moment for me to have that with her before she left. But um, it, it's that kind of those kinds of things that I understand that that goes on. And I think everybody out there in life has had this happen where, you know, they've had somebody, you know, try and, you know, thwart their dreams or just be like, no, you can't do that. Like go the more conservative route. And I'm like, what do you got to lose? Like, you just go for it. Like it's better right. to go and fail. I think I tell photographers all the time, like I never learned anything off the easy shoots. You know, it's the ones where I failed miserably or that were tough, that were challenging that, you know, I still go through challenging uh, photo shoots that, that, that gets the adrenaline pumping. And then you're, you're in this, um, there's also a speed thing. Like there's all sorts of things that you have to account for when you're, when you're taking pictures and, and, uh, and the pressure of the clientele that I work with, um, you know, can build. And if I, if I had it easy all the time, I would never have the skill set that I have with the people that I, that I work with. Yes. Um, so I, I, I like the challenges. I think the challenges are good and the, and the failure is fine. So I, I encourage photographers to fail, but just because that's, that's the only way I learned. Yes. And so that's powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that, uh, you know, conversation you got to have with your mom. I can only imagine just the lightning it gave to you. And, uh, you know, just... I got through it without tears. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. That that's impressive. Most times. It's either going to come out or it's not. And when I start down that path, I'm like, Oh shit, here we go. But yeah. uh, I'm all right. We made it through. Everybody can relate to that. I'm sure Absolutely. everybody's had a had a family member or somebody they know that's passed away from that disease. Yeah. So now the the while we're on the topic of family and challenging uh, family members, you're you're staying with your brother, and your brother after about six months has a very direct comment for you. And I'm sure in the moment How of do hearing, you have all this stuff on me. Holy smokes! <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be prepared to talk to you, but oh. you have this conversation with him and just talk about it. Cause you, you mentioned how, you know, pivotal it was, but I'm sure when that phrase came out of his mouth, you, you weren't exactly the most happy guy in the you world. Get tears out of me yet. Um, holy smokes. So shit. Uh, 
yeah. See, you got me. Uh, my older brother. Um, oh, jeez. So, uh, you know, when you grow up, I, I'm one of three boys. I'm a middle son. My older brother was always a successful guy. My younger brother, he's a, he's a badass too, but my, my older brother really like, you know, was the older, the quintessential older brother, took care of everybody, took care of everything, still does to this day. Um, so I'm the kind of like the nomad running around without a place to live. Yeah. Left New York City, was kind of broke, was sailing. You know, I was like, I don't have a job or anything. And my brother's roommates had moved out of his apartment at the time. And uh, he's like, all right, you can move in. And I was like, can I move my girlfriend in with me? Because she's coming up from Florida. <laughs> so my wife and I, we were we were dating at the time. Yep. We move into his place and he goes, OK, you just got to pay. Just pay the utilities and, and, and crash for a bit till you get on your feet. And I was like, perfect. Great. So I started my photography business in his apartment and, you know, months go by. And he's watching me do these shoots in his living room. I'm moving all sorts of stuff around. I bought my first lights. I was shooting on the roof of his building. He was next to Central Park on, on Central Park West. And I would go into the park and run around and do all this stuff. And but I was like, I remember being so broke that because I, I had no other job. And my, and, and my girlfriend at the time, her wife, had just gotten to New York and had to get her. She was she's a model actress. Um, and she had to get her feet going in New York because she had to have a new agent and had to get everything, everything going. She, she wasn't quite rolling yet. So we weren't in great shape. So six months go by and my brother's like, what are you doing? He comes, he comes up to me. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, what are you, you're not doing any, like you can't even ba barely pay the utilities. Like you're a loser. I was mm. like, what? He goes, you got to get the hell out of here. I got to kick you out. You're leaving. This was January of 2001. So I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you're out of here. And that like shocked me that yeah. my big brother who always had my back is calling me a loser and telling me I got to get the hell out of his apartment. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And this was the kick in the ass that I needed. That yeah. was the kick. That was the kick. So I, I bring it up sometimes because, and to this day, he knows, you know, how huge that was. Um, huge. So I, so, and it was huge on a number of fronts. I was a photographer who I, for some reason I was like, okay, I just need a big window. Mm. He's kicking me out. There's no windows in his place. I couldn't shoot natural light in his place. The windows weren't big enough. I was like, I just need a big Southern facing window. I don't care where it is in the city. I don't care what I have. I don't know how much it's going to cost. And I remember the exact cost of the apartment is 2160 a month. And it was, uh, and it was, I, I got this, it was in a brand new building, uh, a rental, and it was a studio, tiny little space with a huge, like one window, but it was like three panels, one big window that faced south. And there was nothing between me and downtown in, in the city. Yeah. Um, so I was there. So that was interesting on September 11th, because I saw the whole thing and, wow. and recorded the whole thing. It was crazy. But, but I had this window and I was like, I'm going to start my business here. And I remember my wife's uh modeling and acting took off so i was still not doing that great and i didn't want to go i would refuse to go back into a bar i wanted to get the photography going so she basically you know helped foot the bills or made it happen because i wasn't making it happen until i started to make money with photography so that yeah. was the story but it's like again 
like those decisions that had to be made. Like he, he did the right thing. He kicked me out. He's like, okay, get out. You know, sometimes you gotta, it's that tough love that you need. That's like, and he was right. I needed it. I totally needed it. Yes. No, I think that's so impactful of a story because yeah, sometimes we do need a little bit of, you know, financial pressure or pressure to really get things going. So as you get into your career, once again, you're in New York, you've made some connections with, um, you know, models and actors and things, and you know how much it costs to get headshots done. And you think, well, I would be okay making less than what the normal rate is. And that gets you a unique kind of like niche into the market. Yeah. Well, I had gone through the process. So I went yeah. into, I was basically modeling. I didn't, I was not, the acting thing was not for me. Like I was like, this isn't going to happen, but my modeling it, one of my agents said, Hey, look, we're going to send you over to all my children. Cause they're looking for people to be on the, on the show. And, and, yeah. um, we think they might like you. I was like, okay. So I go over there and I meet the casting director there, this guy, Eli trade. He says uh, to me, he goes, okay, I'm going to put you in the hospital as an orderly and you're going to come back and you're just going to be a regular dude in the hospital. So, <laughs> which is funny because one of the, one of the lead actors on the show was one of my brother's good friends. So, and I, and I, and I knew him and I met him and now we're really good friends, but but I was like working with him. So I'm the hospital lawyer. He's one of the doctors, you know, he's one of the main dudes. Yeah. And I remember being on the show and it, and it was with, um, it was with Kelly Ripa and Susan Lucci was there and I was an extra and Susan Lucci, like the first day I was on, she goes, hi, I'm Susan. It's so nice to meet you. And I was like, she talked to me. I was like <laughs> so nice. I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. So I'm there for like a while. And, and Eli says to me, he goes, all right, you got to get in an acting class. I was like, okay. So I go find an acting class and I sucked. I was terrible, but I get in the acting class and I'm in the acting class. And he says, well, now you got to go get headshots. I was like, oh, I need actors headshots. Okay. And I go, I look at the, I see the, the work that I like. And I go to this guy, get my headshots taken. And I start going out as an actor and it never really went anywhere. Like it, I had those moments where I just failed miserably. Like it was like, this is an, a sign that I got to quit acting. I suck so bad. You know, the only thing the acting helped me with is that I, I do a lot of presenting now and a lot of speaking and, and I'm yeah. on stage a lot and it. And I love it because I use my acting chops a little bit or whatever I had, but I was not cut out for that at all. But it helped me so much uh, with what I'm doing now. So it's cool. That's but um yeah it was it was an, it was amazing it was just great yeah now as you're taking these photos and you're you're kind of mastering like you said the light aspect of it and that's an you know important spot of having headshots so talk a little bit about what you started noticing as you were doing photos versus you know what you were seeing with others photos well everybody always asks me like what is how did your experience in front of the camera help you when you got behind the camera? And I don't specifically have any answer like, like it helped because of this, that, and the other thing. It, 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 I know why it helped me. I, it helped me with awareness. Like, um, you know, Bruce never told me aperture ISO shutter speed or where to put my light. He was just supportive. And, mm -hmm. but being on set with him, I saw where the top of the game was. So I saw the top of the game and then I have the images, you know, he gave me a bunch of prints and stuff that he was doing. And I'm looking at these prints and I was doing my own printing and stuff back then. And I was just looking at the level of, of what was out there and what, um, 
what came across in the pictures, like the vibe that came across. And I looked at the photographers that um, when I started shooting headshots, um, I was looking at their work and I was like, they're missing something. Something's not right. And yeah. it wasn't necessarily lighting. It was a vibe. The vibe wasn't there in the shots. And I was like, I need to go for the vibe and that and, and consistency. So that's what I did. And that was the difference. So I saw a void basically. And I think anywhere in life, if you, if you're, if you're good at something and you know, you're good at it, and then you see an opportunity, the opportunity is a void in the marketplace. And there was this void. And it was basically that, that what I was seeing is that Bruce and Annie and, and uh, all the photographers that was sh were shooting for GQ Vanity Fair and stuff like that, her Brits, um, they made actors look really cool. Like all the celebrities in Vanity Fair look cool. Yeah. And then when you looked at, and when I looked at the photographers that were taking the headshots in New York, all the actors looked like out to lunch. They looked uncomfortable. They didn't look cool. Like I was like, why do they look cool? And they don't look cool. And I was like, is it because they're shooting celebrities or is it because the photographer's good? And I, I realized that it was a combo of both. Like I've had yeah. been fortunate enough to have celebrities in here where I just press the button and they look amazing. I don't have to do a thing. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these people are incredible. And then I've had people come in and they're just like, a lump in front of the camera and they don't do anything and you can't get anything out of them and you have to like really pull as much as you can out of them. So that's where the, that's the, the recipe I would say that made me successful. Um, that was it. I mean, I developed my own techniques around it, but, and that, you know, put me on like good morning American stuff like that and yeah. started this thing, but, but it was really just noticing that. And that's the thing that a lot of photographers miss. They think they just have to put the light in a good place and the person's supposed to do something for them. And they press the button and then they capture it when that's not the case at all. Uh, yeah, you have to be technically proficient as a photographer, but it's really, um, you know, capturing that human and, and, and mine's all about persuasion. Like I try and persuade the, the person in front of my camera to do what I want them to do with their face. That's it. That's what my work is about. Um, I call myself a facial conveyance strategist. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like going like this in my brain, what are they saying right now to the camera? That's not the right, that's not exactly what I want them to say to the camera. And then I try to sway their expression and what they do to, to get what it is that I want out of them. And, uh, yeah. and I love doing it. It's fun. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So one thing I want to rewind back to, and then we'll, we'll kind of fast forward to where we're at, but there's a lot of people that create reasons of why something can't work or why it's not the right time. And what I want to highlight is you had mentioned wife gets pregnant. We have twins. We moved to a new apartment and I've got crying babies in one room and I'm shooting in the other rooms. So talk a little bit about, you know, just the willingness to say I'm doing it. And the people that want to work with me will work with me regardless of the crying baby in the other room. Yeah. You know, I had this one woman get really upset that the kids were crying in the other room. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not going to affect your picture if you don't let it. Like, I don't know how I'm not going to get rid of my kids. And this is where I shoot. So, you know, I, I wonder how I handled it back then. I wish I could be a fly on the wall while I was doing that. But yeah, I, I there's this saying my well, I mean, we were together for about a year or two or yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's all a blur. Uh, three years. We were together. We had the kids three years later after, after meeting, but um, you know, we, I just said to her, I was like, you know, we got to start thinking about having kids. I really wanted kids. I was like, we, we should have some kids. 
but my career had, I hadn't even started taking headshots yet. Like I really didn't officially, I had just started taking headshots when she got pregnant. I, I, I had been doing it about six months advertising and trying to get it going. Yeah. And, um, and we go to the doctor, she goes to the doctor, but I'm off sailing. She, her first doctor's visit, my brother goes with her. My older brother goes with her <laughs> and she's like, you're such a jerk. Like it's our first doctor's appointment. I was like, it's a North American championship in New Jersey. I gotta go. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Can't, can you wait a week or like, let's, like, no, I'm going. Well, the funny thing is, is that she didn't like the doctor. She's like, I didn't like the doctor. I got to find another one. So she finds another one. And she goes, now we're going. So I went with her and the doctor does the ultrasound. He says, oh, oh my gosh, there's something over here. And then look at this, there's something over here too. And we see this like thing like this. And I'm like, I was like, did he just wait, wait, there's something over there and something over there. And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I couldn't rub two nickels together as it was, let alone like, I was like twins, twins yeah. and my wife turns to me and she's like a freaked out and she says you know what there's a saying in venezuela my wife's venezuela she said kids come with bread under the arm and uh and and i was like i hope they come with a lot of bread under those arms <laughs> i guess they did because we made it and they and they just started college and i'm just paying their 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 tuition and i'm like oh my gosh i feel like i i can't believe that i can afford to put my yeah. kids through college from that moment. Now I'm putting twins through college because I'm a photographer. It's so cool. That is so cool. I love it. I had to highlight that. Now to fast forward, um, you know, the photography business is going, it's doing well, really well. And two individuals reach out to you to do an interview with you. And it brings a lot of attention to you, but it also kind of opens your mind to what's next. So when Lee and Patrick interview you, talk a little bit about what comes next for you. I'm just like, shocked that you've got all this on me. <laughs> so I, I'm like, I got blinders on. I'm trying to be the best photographer I can be. Yeah. Like I'm just doing my thing in my studio and I don't really know what's going on out there. I never took a photography course. I never did anything. I took a Photoshop course once. That was about it. But I never took a photo. I'm a trial and error guy. And I believe that in life. Like I'll just try things. And if I fail, it's fine. And if I, if I figure it out, I figure it out. So I haven't paid any attention to anything in terms of, you know, the industry. Like I knew there was a, there was a conference, there was a, a show called uh, photo plus expo at the Javits center. I would go every, every year. Cause it was right next to me and I'd see speakers and stuff like that and be like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then one year I went to this Photoshop world conference anyway, never thought about it. And I get a call from this guy from F stoppers, which is the biggest, one of the biggest photography blogs out there at the time they weren't, they were just starting, yeah. but they call me and they say, Hey, um, it's Lee. And he said, I emailed you, or maybe he emailed me. He said, I, he said he was in college and he emailed like 10 photographers and I was the only one to get back to him. So he tells the story. He's like, well, when we were decided we wanted to interview somebody, he said, I know a guy that'll get back to me. Let me email him. And they emailed me. And I was like, yeah, sure. You could come over and interview me. Why not? I was like, hey, come yes. interview me. Sure. So they come in, they put this interview out and it goes up on the F stoppers blog. And I get more inquiries from photographers than my clients. And I'm like, what is going on with this? Yeah. So they call me and they're like, okay, something's up. I mean, you are the headshot guy. You're known as the headshot guy. You should probably do a tutorial on headshot photography. And I'm like, I never taught any, I'm a, I've been a sailing instructor. Photography <laughs> class actually took photography in high school and on my report card, Mr. Friend was my uh, 
teacher and he wrote la he checked off lax enthusiasm i was <laughs> like oh my gosh so oh, anyway i i end up they come in they decide they're like they've never done a tutorial before yeah they want to get into doing photography tutorials i was like all right let's do it and at the time or back then it became the most successful photography tutorial that was ever made back then um, now it's, it's gotten beat, but, uh, back then it was great. So, yeah. and then that opened all these other doors and the floodgates just opened. And then I, and then I was like, okay, well, let me, what am I going to do with all these photographers contacting me? Yeah. I was like, well, if I did the tutorial, maybe I should do a workshop. So I started a workshop, but then I was like, well, once they get through the workshop, what do I do? So my web designer was like, well, why don't we just make a website for them? That's like Facebook for photographers or something. And I was like, okay, do that. So he built this thing called, we called it headshot crew. And everybody who took my workshop or bought my tutorial went on headshot crew. So now I have over 18,000 photographers that have been through the site and I coach like 1400 of them on a daily basis. They're on a zoom right now doing, getting coached by some of my team and uh, and it created this crazy thing. And and now I go all over the world globally, either speaking, teaching. I, I, I coordinate my life around my sailing events. So if I have a sailing uh, a regatta somewhere, my world championship is in Barcelona in November. So I'm doing a workshop in Amsterdam if I can get there. <laughs> um, I was in Australia for a world championship. I had two workshops down there when the whole COVID thing started and I had to jump on a plane and get back and everything got canceled down there. So I have to get back to Australia eventually, but uh, it created this whole new um, path for me. So now uh, I'm busy shooting, but I'm also busy teaching and I love it. It's just, it's amazing. I, I didn't realize it's like teaching this stuff to other photographers and spreading my message uh, to the world is globally is just amazing. It's been phenomenal. Yes. You're impacting a lot of people. And, and I love that because even though, uh, yeah, your teacher back in high school wrote lacked enthusiasm. Fast forward to now, you do not lack enthusiasm for what you do. <laughs> I got some. I got some energy. Found a little yeah. bit around it. Yeah. Now, something that you mentioned um, earlier, and I want to kind of tie in for you personally on your photos. I'm sure this is something you teach um, people that are learning from you now is really how you have to work with the person, right? It's not as much, it's not so much, Hey, smile, I'll take your photo, but you have some Jedi mind tricks that you like to use. And there's certain questions that get them into certain mindsets. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm, I found that, that I, I, it's funny because I'm doing a talk on uh, Wednesday in St. Louis and it's called the power of the person. Yeah. And I, I, I've got it in my brain. I haven't written it yet. So I, today was yesterday and today I was supposed to do it. And then we were doing this and I was like, Shoot, I got to get this together. I, I, um, I mean, I have the concepts down and I, and I yeah. love challenging myself. So when I get up on that stage and it's one of the biggest stages that I used to, I don't know how big it's going to be this year, but we usually have about 3000 people in front of me awesome. two to anywhere from a thousand to 3000. I don't know how many will show up, right. but, um, but I get on stage and I, and I do this, um, you know, I get to talk about this stuff. So I've been thinking about it the past couple of days. And I found that the evolution of my work has gone way more. It's totally swayed into paying 100% attention to the person in front of me and how to um, get that person to give me their best. So it's a, it's a, 
it's a total read on, on what they're feeling. And everybody's different. I did a TEDx talk called the bridging the self-acceptance gap. So people come in and they just, you know, when you get in front of a camera, it's like, you know, whenever anybody, whenever you're being recorded, like, if, like it's so powerful. The attention never, I've never had anybody I shoot ever not pay attention to the camera while I'm shooting really. Right. And it's really like they're, they're locked in on it and, and their appearance and it brings up things for them. And, and it depends on the, you know, how you are with yourself and at whatever stage of life you're in. Like some people, if they feel like they're in good shape and they're confident, they're, they're going to light up. But if you're feeling the other way, you got to, you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, it's pouring rain, you come in, your hair's frazzled and stuff. You're just going to get, you know, I get it all the time. As photographers, we get it all the time. And in the, in that TEDx talk, um, I did it with Anna Rowley and she said, uh, we live in a fault-based society. Yeah. So people see their faults first. It's, it's very hard to get somebody to talk positively about themselves these days, yep. which, and, and then if they do like, people are like, what's wrong with that person? Man, <laughs> you go on that, that thing. What is that? Why don't I gotta listen to this? You know, yeah. but if somebody says, you know, Oh my, they come in and they go, Oh my bad. I, my eyes are puffy. I feel like I should have lost it. What am I doing here? And uh, it's just, I feel like, you know, my hair is a mess. I got all these wrinkles. I didn't sleep well. And, and I'm supposed to be like, I call it glam basting. They glam based themselves. And I like, I don't want, I was like, that's not good. I mean, I've never had anybody go walk in and go, Peter, it's your lucky day. My hair is glorious. This is going to be easy for you. You're just going to have to press the button. I mean, I just look perfect. You know, you never, there's, it's never going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. So what I talk about is like, when does that happen? Like, when does that start happening? I've never had a 10 year old come in and go, man, geez, these pictures are great, but I should have lost the 10 pounds. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's like, there's an age where we, we, we get consumed by our appearance and then society doesn't help. Yep. And then people are doing all sorts of aggressive things to change their appearance. Yes. And I'm trying to wrestle with that because I'm like, what, what is acceptable for one human may not be acceptable for another, but who am I to judge? I'm just taking their picture. Like I'm a personal brand manager, but then I'm like, well, why did they jam all that stuff into their lips? Or why did they get that surgery done? Or why did they do yeah. this? Or why did they do that? Um, one of the things that was difficult for me is that, um, my mom had a, uh, a facelift later in life. And when I saw her for the first time, I didn't recognize her. And I was wow. like, well, it just was like, you lose that, that recognition. So it's really like, like, like it's tough on me when people go to those ag aggressive extremes, but it, does that matter to me? Like it matters to the person. Like, how does the right. person feel? Like if they feel better about it, that's fine. And then I just have to capture it. Yeah. Um, I want, I want people to, and I think, part of my journey on this planet is to try and figure out how to make people feel better in their own skin. Yeah. And if I can do something like that, so that's why I, I basically say my purpose is to get people in front of my camera, take amazing pictures of them, make them walk out with a skip in their step, make them feel better about themselves for having been in front of my lens than before. And then I teach photographers to do that globally. Cause I can only affect the people I personally photograph, but I've coached, over 20,000 photographers now um, on this. So I can expand. So my, I guess my legacy is what I want it to be is I want um, this specialty of, of photographing people, the, the portraits that I take, I want to expand that message globally and, and get people to feel better about their appearance. And if there's yeah. a way that we could take the, take the edge off 
what we see in in on TV and what we see as as what's known as beauty. And obviously, uh, beauty trends have changed. Yeah. They constantly change, right? Then yep. we've seen it change. So you know, who knows? I I just really think that um, it's changing for me too. Like I was very strict with like, no, beauty is this, and it's got to be like this. And now people come in, and I'm like, I wonder how they feel about their their yeah. selves. Um, so if I could teach people about their appearance and how to look better in front of a camera with what they've got and maybe feel better about themselves, um, which I do, uh, I, I always love tears. Like if yeah. tears happen after they look at one of my pictures, I did something good. Yes. And it just happened. I was at a trade show on a trade show floor shooting and I threw a couple people into, into Tearsville and uh, it was awesome. It was just awesome because people don't really appreciate, first of all, if you're listening to this and you don't have a good picture of yourself, that's not your fault. You didn't photograph with a very talented photographer, probably. Um, yeah. So if you really like I always tell people, what's your favorite picture of yourself? What is it? See it in your brain right now, whatever it is. Any age could be you could be a two year old in, in the arms of your father. I, it doesn't matter. That's 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 I want people to because I think imagery is so important. I want people to have, I have the picture. Bruce Weber took it to me. I was sailing. It was for Abercrombie Fitch. I'm super ripped. I love the pictures. Like one of my, one of my favorites. Um, maybe I can bring it up on my phone real quick, but I want everybody to have that picture for themselves that, that vivid in their brain. Um, and I don't think people have that. And then I want it to be like, not only that, I want it to be their most recent I want to, I want their favorite more. I don't know if you can see this on the screen, but this is the picture. Yeah. Me that's my favorite picture. That's uh, awesome. As it, I think it's getting blown out. No. Yeah. That's but great. Anyway, um, anyway, the, uh, so not only your favorite picture of all time, your favorite picture that represents you now. And that's what I try and take from my clients, your favorite, like I want to take their favorite picture that represents them right now and make them feel good about themselves right now with whatever's going on. Uh, and I've taken it to such extremes that, um, that I'm doing some projects, uh, with some really important people to, I had a, I have a buddy who I coach who 50% of his body's burned and he came to me out of the blue. I never, I, I didn't even, I didn't know him, but he was a photographer before he got burned. He was an electrician and he got an electrical fire anyway. So he still loved to take pictures, but for three years, he hadn't been, he's been through all sorts of surgery, he never went out of his, out of his home uh, and wasn't, was shooting friends and stuff like that. And then he got involved with my coaching program and he said, look, I need your help. I, I don't want my appearance to affect how people feel in front of my camera. And I said, well, we have to figure this out. He posted a picture in one of my groups of himself, a self-portrait, and I was blown away. So I invited him to a workshop of mine and we spent time working together. He's amazing talent. And he had never gone out of his home since this happened. And wow. I invited him to, I had a, a workshop. He's from Chicago. I had a workshop in Ohio. And I said, look, I want to invite you. I want you to come. He goes, yeah. well, I haven't been anywhere. He's, I got a, another photographer to drive him from Chicago to the workshop. Uh, he spent that time with me. Anyway, now we're working on projects in New York, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago to shoot people that feel, and, and it went through mm. a, uh, a non-for-profit. So we're, we're in the midst of trying to figure this out to shoot photograph for him to photograph people that feel disfigured because of something that happened in their life. 
Yeah. Um, he went through this process. He's go- using it as a healing process. He wants to help other people heal from wow. what they've had that's permanent things that have disfigured them. And he's going to take pictures of it. And I'm going to be there to coach him and with him along the way. So it's just like, I don't know how we got on this tangent, but this is the stuff that's going on in my life because of these, these things. And, and I think when you see somebody, his name's Rod, when you see Rod, um, I think everything changes for people. I think that, you know, our concern about the pimple on our face goes away and, and, you know, our concern that, you know, maybe we didn't work out last week and we gained a couple, a little bit of weight. I think that goes away. And I think that, um, you know, we have to be really grateful for our appearance and beauty is everybody has it. Everybody. It's just, it's built in. Like we're human beings. We're beautiful. Like it's there. I think, I think the human face is the most amazing thing to look at on the planet. So this is the right job for me. Yeah. I've been doing it. You know. <laughs> yes. Now, now you hit it on the head when you were uh, talking about TEDx. So we're going to include that in the show notes so people can go watch this. It's like a 14 minute uh, talk, but, but it's fascinating. And it stemmed from you were shooting. Well, it probably stemmed from a lot of things, but one of the things you highlight there is I'm shooting Miss Universe. And she makes a comment to her husband that, Ah, I don't really know if I like the way I look. And you say, well, gosh, if Miss Universe doesn't like the way she looks, I mean, how is anyone going to walk in front of a camera like the way they look? Because obviously looks are a part of that competition. So talk a little bit about just that, you know, when that moment happened and if it was like instantly a light bulb or if it was it kind of weighed on you, yeah. you thought about it. Oh man, I freaked out. I was like, <laughs> when she says, she goes, honey, I can't stand my face. She was looking at her pictures on my computer and she goes, honey, I can't stand my face. So I called her to ask her if I said, can I tell that story on the, on the, on the TEDx talk I'm going to give? And she said, yeah, tell the story. Um, I should probably do more with her and, and figure it out. But I have another friend who um, also won Miss Universe, who I photograph a lot, uh, and her name's Diana. And we talked about, it. she's like, I didn't know I was attractive. Like I was thrust, I was like 12 and they threw me into this thing and she gets spit out the other end is Miss Universe. And, um, you know, it's an incredible experience for somebody that doesn't know the awareness of our appearance is so interesting for, for everybody. And most people don't feel like they're as attractive as they really are to others, but they don't know. And you can't jump into other people's heads and, and, and see. And I, I mean, you know, I mean, on this planet, everybody's attractive to somebody, somebody's going to float your boat, you know, but obviously, like, there's like, Miss Universe level of what what's perceived beauty um, is on a different level. But for somebody like that to say that they can't stand the way they look is just so powerful. So I was like shocked. And 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 I think it's been a good story. I I think it just goes to show like I modeled for years, and I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't and I, and I didn't feel like I was one of the and I wasn't one of the top guys in the world who worked all the time, but I worked enough, um, you know, to make a living at it. So uh, and, but I didn't feel I was anything that special. I thought it was okay. I'm all right, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just, you know, have some fun in front of the camera. And, and I mean, it's a, it was a really fun job and it was great to do these, this, this work, but you don't know like how people are going to feel about you when you go into these jobs. So it's, it's interesting. It's such an interesting concept. And, and I don't think it's talked about enough and I don't think people really, really address this but imagine like how much if you look at the emphasis of your life uh, that that you put on your appearance like everybody like and everybody's different like ever if you were going to add a, a a number to it the percentage of time spent during the day thinking about your appearance or whatever whatever it is like for some people it's really freaking high like they're not walking by a mirror without looking in it right. those people 
Yep. Like there's other people that didn't look in the mirror. They barely looked in the mirror when they got out of the shower. <laughs> like the, they don't look in themselves again. And then there's those people, any reflection, they've got to check themselves out. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just yeah. random. How do people feel like this? And is it upbringing? Is it cultural? Is it, is it, is it what, where, where, where does that come into play? You know? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. There's a lot behind that. There's a lot mm-hmm. behind that. Now, additionally, you are a, an author. You have a book, The Headshot. Talk a little bit about how that came to be, if that was something you had decided on, if someone had maybe prompted you to create the book. I had the book right next to me. This is the book, The Headshot. So, it. yeah, I was prompted to, to create this. Scott Kelby was, uh, he runs Kelby One. Uh, he's one of the biggest photography instructors in the world ever. And he had... Uh, done this conference called Photoshop World. He also did a Google a conference with Google for photographers. It was called the Google, back when Google Plus was around, it was the Google Plus Photography Conference. And um, it was the first person to ask me to speak ever on stage. I was so nervous. I was like, I can't, are you crazy? Why are you asking me to speak? <laughs> he just, I did a blog post for him um, after the F-stoppers and I did our thing. We did this blog post and uh, it went viral. And it was a video I did on, on how to look, how to accentuate your jawline. It went crazy. So yeah. Scott saw, you know, it was like, this is the biggest thing I got going on. I got to have this guy on stage. So he puts me on stage and I was such a newbie and so nervous and, but it was so fun. Um, so after we did that together, uh, we had started, he started to have me on his show on occasion. And I would go in and do some, some tutorials and some instruction. And he said, look, there's no book like, real major book on headshot photography out there and you are the head checker. Like you own the genre. You have to do it. You don't have a chance. And he's like, you're not He's like, don't think about it. He's like, you're doing it to say you're an author. Like you're not doing it. It's not going to make you a gazillion dollars. It's like, you need to get this information out there and you need to be an author. And I was like, but I don't write. I'm terrible <laughs> at writing. He's like, don't worry about that. We're going to talk it out. I was like, what? So one of the busiest guys in the photo industry yeah. was like he would fly me down or I'd fly to no I think he was flying me down to uh maybe I was flying myself to I don't remember but I would fly down to Florida and sit with him every uh couple weeks every month like twice a month once a month once wow. every other month for like 2 years and what he did was he put an iPhone in in between us and he just recorded what what I was saying and he's like, I'm going to learn from this. I was like, you're crazy. You're taking your time out to be with me. So they transcribed all these things and they yeah. put in a book. So they put the book together. They put the transcription together. And I started reading it. And I was like, this doesn't sound right. This isn't the way I would have that would, that would have come across. So I had to rewrite the whole thing. So it was like the <laughs> hardest thing I ever did. But I loved it. I still love the book. I still love everything in it. And I'm still learning. So I, I, I've changed a lot of the techniques that I do in here, just tweak them. It's just not, yeah. not big changes, but little tweaks, but I have to thank Scott for, for, for me becoming an author. Huge. That's so cool. That's so cool. <clears throat> now, one of the last business things we'll talk about is just the scaling of the business. So, right. We, we started with at the very beginning, Hey, I was trying to be maybe the, a lower cost provider for what I knew these people needed. And then over time it transitions to, I know what my worth is right like i'm i'm at the peak of the industry i'm at the top of the industry i know that i'm i'm worth more so talk a little bit about that from just a business standpoint because i think that can be hard for people to navigate through is you know how do i actually 
convey that I am worth the value of what I'm charging. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate where I didn't create the marketplace. It was already here. Yeah. So the in headshot industry in, in New York city was very vibrant. There was this, these, the people at the top were charging like a thousand dollars for a headshot session, which was nowhere else in the country. Was it happening? It was just New York and it was New York pricing. And I was like, I want to get on that gravy train. <laughs> I was like, how the heck do I do that? And I started out charging like $250 for a headshot or something like that. Um, no, I think that's what it was. Um, but they had created this, this model. So I was, every month I was busy, I would raise my rates. And then finally I had a casting director say, look, you're doing the best work in New York. Will you stop it? You're way too cheap compared to everybody else. Some people think something's wrong. I was like, what? And what you'll find is that, and what I found is that if I wanted to cater to specific clientele, there are people out there that would be like, he's too cheap, something's wrong. And I didn't, and I wanted those people. So okay. I, I get the photographers telling me, well, there's a guy charging $49.99 down the street from me and, and, and complaining about these lower rates and stuff. I was like, you don't want the person that's going to go to the $49.99 guy. Yep. Why do you want that person? You don't want that person. I don't want to work with that person. I want people to come to me because they want the best, you know, and, and, and they're willing to pay for it. I mean, I, I'm willing to pay for like, I'm, you know, I'm not the craziest into fashion, but I, you know, I like buying nice clothes. My daughter's a stylist now. So she introduces me to all these crazy designers and stuff. And then I see these shoes and I'm like, those are crazy, but they're cool, but they're like really expensive. But I'm like, that's what I want. Like I'm yes. going to, fork out a little bit extra to, because that's what I want to roll with. I want to wear those suckers. Um, and I want those people that want, want that. So um, when you're starting a business, it's hard to curtail it to like certain clientele. Yep. But once you get to a certain point, you know, the price point should negate a lot of people coming in the door. Yep. So, and if it doesn't, and and you're busy, then that there's a problem. Like you should raise your rates if you're busy. And if you're not busy and, and then you have an issue and then you got to yeah, yeah. figure it out. If you got to, you know, put food on the table and pay rent and, and your, your rates are too high and you're not working. That's, that's different. I'm fortunate enough, you know, that I have multiple sources of income now because I'm, I'm doing a, a, a slew of different things. It allows me to charge what I want to charge for when somebody's in front of my camera. And it also allows me to, limit it affects everything that i do because i'm like well i could sit in my new york studio and photograph somebody for an hour and make x so you if you want me to go speak at this thing i would have to be x and you know and it's yes, yes. it just helps out as a whole but i think people have to get there and they and it's more of a belief thing than anything else like i don't want to overcharge anybody anything mm -hmm. because i want to feel like they're getting the the product that i'm giving them is special like if you get a headshot from me um like i believe there's a value on that that's that's very high because of what i've done in this industry you know yes. and and i want people to feel that yeah. so um i get a lot of people that don't know the rates or whatever my phone's blown up right now a guy got wants to get a headshot this afternoon and i'm looking at him and i'm like this afternoon i guess i could shoot him but is he gonna but the chances of that uh, somebody who doesn't who just asks like that to get in here like it's so hard to get in here and yeah, I could do it, but then I got to push back other stuff. Anyway, I would do it, but I don't, I doubt that that person know has looked at my rates and, and if you've done research, you know, and people are researching you and you, um, you know, command of a high rate 
in terms of the industry that you're in, you know, in terms of the industry that, that I am, I'm, I think I'm the highest in, in the industry that I'm in. Yep. Um, so I want the people who are like, I need that guy. And yep. those are the people I get. And I, it's awesome working with them because yes. they care. You care. You're both going like going for something very special and it's just cool. I love it. Well, Peter, I appreciate your time and you sharing your journey, your story. Uh, you know, you've done so many fascinating things. I mean, from competing at the Olympics to getting the opportunity to run a business. And now, uh, you know, your mission of helping people have their best photo of themselves now and just what you're able to do by helping others learn how to take better photos. Uh, I mean, it's so impactful. And, you know, the, the domino effect is amazing. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I like talking about this stuff. But I was like, I mean, it's so it's so interesting to me, human behavior in front of cameras. So I talk about it all day long. I just want the people listening to to take a good look in the mirror and maybe pat themselves on the back because they probably if they feel that they look good because they really should. And if you feel the other way, you got to get you got to get yourself in front of a camera and and in front of a, a professional who has the ability to make you feel good about yourself. I think it's so huge. And there are techniques out there that can make you look your best in front of a camera. And there, it's nothing difficult. It's, it's little things here and there. If anybody wants to ask me any questions whatsoever, I'm really good on DM on Instagram. So Peter underscore Hurley, hit me up anytime. Awesome. Well, Peter, thanks so much. I appreciate your time and uh, we'll look forward to following up soon. Thanks, Phil. One of the biggest takeaways I had from Peter's story was when he talked about his brother and what his brother said to him uh, and how it just hit him, right? Someone so important to him and didn't cripple him and didn't make him say, ah, you know, maybe I should stop. It really motivated him to keep going. And so I'd really encourage you to think about are there things that have been said to you that motivate you to keep going? Thanks so much for tuning in to Peter's story and we'll be releasing another episode this Friday. Have a great day.